Salvete omnes qui ludera ametis. Hail to all who love to play games. And welcome to the Video Games and Human Values Initiative podcast. I'm Roger Travis, Director of the Initiative and Associate Professor of Classics at the University of Connecticut. This week I'll be talking with the brainy gamer Michael Abbott, Associate Professor of Theater at Wabash College and co-founder with me of the Video Games and Human Values Initiative. We'll be laying what might be called the groundwork for this podcast by talking about the Video Games and Human Values Initiative and what we think it brings to the table, indeed the table we think it brings to the conversation. So along the way, we'll be discussing the famous middle circle of game criticism, sometimes called the ludodecahedron, sometimes even called the brainy sphere, and we'll be talking about its relationship on the one hand with academic writing on games and academic discourse in general on games, and on the other with the nebulous gamer community with all its transformations ongoing as we speak. I'm here with Michael Abbott, my friend, uh, the Brainy Gamer, and I'm interested in exploring with him why it was that we decided to put this thing called the Video Games and Human Values Initiative together. And I guess I just want to start by saying that I was looking for something to do with my own classical stuff. Um, the stuff about how video games are kind of like ancient epic as it was being orally recomposed. And one of the things that I thought was neat about what I was doing potentially was that it seemed like a way of talking about the potential of games in culture that would change the conversation a little bit about what games could do. I mean, we'd come to the point where we had a lot of people really, uh, in a certain sense, led by Michael, who were talking about the what educational people call the affordances of video games, what video games could do. But there was a disconnect between that and what academic people were doing because academic people understandably were kind of preoccupied with training people who were going to design games and Michael was one of the very few people that I found as I looked around who was actually thinking about the cultural potential of games in relation to existing culture and in Michael's case that was theater and film whereas in my case it was classics but it, it seemed like it was worth exploring whether there was a way to build some bridges between academic people who were mostly focused in the the game studies world and academic people who were doing other things. And then this mass of people that, that Michael identified in a really great post as the enthusiasts. And we also know them these days well, they're sometimes called the middle circle. For a little while, they were actually called the brainy sphere, partly as a tribute to Michael, but everybody agreed that that was really not necessarily the best thing to call them. There have been <laughs> other uh, flip names like the ludodecahedron, which combines Latin and Greek, meaning that it's technically a barbarism, but it has a, uh, a funny little... <laughs> cachet to it. And in any case, all of those people, and here I'm thinking of people like Dan Bruno and Ben Abraham and Dan Golding, and if I start going on, I'll inevitably leave people out who really belong here. But I guess probably Corvus Elrod deserves a huge mention here. People who are interested in games, in culture, with a twist on it. And actually, um, Justin Caverney, 
his blog is Groping the Elephant. And I remember when he first started that blog, he identified the various twists that people were putting on games. And he said, I'm not going to do games in film the way Michael does. I'm not going to do games in classics the way Roger does. I'm going to do games. And at this point, I forget exactly what his twist was. But in any case, there are all of these people, and it's not like they're just game fans. They're not kind of just enthusiasts, although the thing we share is that we all are games enthusiasts. It's that we all come from different disciplines, whether we're academic or not, and it's the putting together of that that tends to happen mostly on Twitter these days, where the fireworks start to happen. And it was that spirit that I kind of thought we might be able to capture in several different bottles, one of those bottles being the Video Games and Human Values Initiative. So I hesitantly sent an email to Michael, which was actually the first email, to anybody asking if they wanted to join up. And Michael said yes. And then uh, Jeff Howard, who wrote the book Quests, was somebody I sent an email to next. And he also thought it was an interesting idea. So we went around for a while and came up with a mission statement and actually changed the name, thank goodness. It was Michael who came up with human values instead of civilized values, which is the thing I started with. And maybe in a future podcast, I can justify myself for having thought that civilized values might be a good idea. But uh, although the kind of initial intention was that somebody would dump a pile of money on us, and nobody has yet dumped a pile of money on us, nevertheless, the basic idea, which is captured in a, a Ning social network of VGHVI, seems like it's something that certain people in our community find to be interesting. And maybe the best symbol of it so far is this weekly week in review that Eric Hansen is putting together for us, that there is the potential to make a center happen. That is to, to kind of provide maybe what we're talking about is a kind of centripetal force. Not that anybody has to fall under the sway of the centripetal force if they don't want to. Not that anybody has to create the center. But that in a field that is as inherently interdisciplinary as as video games, it seems like it helps to have something like that. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, when, as you were describing that, how we came upon the title for the group. I mean, how, what did we want to be called? And how we kind of had to sort out what that all meant to us. You know, the more I play games, especially watching them evolve, the more convinced I am that we have to think hard about the impact that they have on us. And I'm not talking about the dangerous games with kids and violence and all that. I mean, that's an interesting topic, I guess, to a certain extent. But as a teacher, I find that the kinds of conversations that video games provoke are incredible. They're incredibly fascinating to me. And I find that they're, as provocations, they're actually more effective than some of the things I've been using for years. So there is something about them that brings us together. And that in and of itself, aside from whatever the games are about or whatever the games are trying to communicate, the fact that there is this kind of natural community that has formed around them is really just wonderful. I mean, I, I love it. And it's it's changed my life in a certain way. Yeah, mine too. I never, when I started out with my initial comparison of uh, Halo and the Aeneid, I really never dreamed 
how far it would lead me and all of the amazing connections, not only in, in terms of all of the amazing games that I couldn't have imagined then, and some of which were around and I just hadn't played, like Shadow of the Colossus at, at that time, but just like you say, people who find this cultural potential in games seem to be working at a level of culture that starts even in an interesting place and ends in an, a more interesting place still. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. In a way, it's an easy community to build because we're all networked. But, you know, we're all over the world and there's a point at which you start to lose track of who's who. And I'm, I'm starting to get to that point. I think I still pretty much have a, a connection and, and understand and a memory of who's who and <laughs> what avatar goes with what person. But I have a feeling if it gets just a little bit bigger, I'm going to start to lose my grip on it. Yeah, my Twitter feed is beginning to overwhelm me. And this is at a time when I finally have been able to devote a few more hours of the day to being at the keyboard and able to respond to people's tweets. It's a shame because everybody who kind of comes into the community and, and I've found, to, despite the fact that we occasionally go through paroxysms of uh, wondering whether we're open enough, I find that we're actually kind of wonderfully open and more and more people can come in and all of them are so smart and so good at talking about games from their own perspective that I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of wondering how long the Twitter thing can continue because we do want to be inclusive and, and to make it manageable, at least as Twitter's currently structured, we'd have to start rationing or something like that. And that doesn't seem yeah. like a good idea. I think there's a, a downside to Twitter that I'm discovering too. And I, it's because it enables us to sort of be persistently connected and to quickly respond to people. It can become the kind of de facto way of talking about games. Yeah. Um, someone posts a little remark about something they're playing and that becomes a topic of quote-unquote conversation and I'm not convinced that Twitter is really a, about conversation it doesn't feel like a conversation to me it Twitter. feels like performance it, it's a certain yeah it does it does it, it and I do that I, I look at those 140 characters and I think is that as clever as I want to be <laughs> or <laughs> is that as pithy as I want to be or whatever the downside of Twitter, I think, related to the work that we're trying to do is that it, it sometimes replaces what might have become more thoughtful conversation that could be conducted in an environment that's more robust. I have a sense that, you know, the nature of a blog is essentially to have a conversation as well, at least the way I see it. And then you've got forums and, and you're part of those conversations. I think that you can only split yourself kind of so many ways and conduct conversations in so many environments before, you know, you sort of reach a breaking point. And I, I guess I've reached the point with Twitter where I don't want to have video game conversations there. I want to have them on the blog in, in comments with people. And I prefer if people have something to say about something I've written for them to come to my blog and write, you know, a thoughtful comment there as opposed to um, just sending me a quick Twitter remark. Uh, that would be a great topic for a future podcast, the, the potential of blogs, because, I mean, I, I have a slightly different take on blogs and blog comments. It seems to me that it's easier for things to feel a, a little bit too hierarchical. 
on blogs. But I, I think that depends. I mean, you maintain an unbelievably wonderful atmosphere at the Brainy Gamer, and I, I kind of don't know how you do it because it takes so much work. But other people on blogs, blog, blog comments can turn into to flame wars, I've, I find, perhaps even more easily than forums do. But, but And so it, it all depends on you. I guess maybe the problem ends up being with so many different blogs these days, um, it's hard to kind of post around. I think part of my concern about it, it's not you know a serious concern. I mean, I think Twitter's cool and I use it every day, but it's that it disappears, that yeah. you have these quickie little conversations and some, some of them try to be substantive and then it's another day and you're on to something else and that it's as if it never happened. And I, you know, it's possible to search past Twitter posts, but that's not really an archive. When you have conversations in a forum or on a blog, obviously those conversations are permanent or at least, at least as permanent <laughs> as the internet is. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to explore is the the learning side of VGHVI because right there in the the mission statement is this thing about the online courses and the online symposia. And I think that although it doesn't necessarily look like there's all that much going on in that way at VGHVI, with the exception of my online courses, I think we're moving there kind of imperceptibly in a, in, in a way that's kind of neat. And above all, in the growing number of people who are, are actually playing games, multiplayer, and the parallel effort, as I think of it, in your and David Carlton and Dan Bruno's Vintage Game Club is really neat because it seems like there is a, a symposium feeling that's happening. And I, I think I made the mistake early on of saying, okay, we're going to try to have an actual symposium. And, and although that made sense in my own mind, I think I was not successful at bringing it across to other people's minds. And that's probably because the, the basic concept didn't fit what's actually going on in the community, which is that we really do, in a certain sense, have a rolling symposium. It's just that, and this is what we were talking about with Twitter a moment ago, we don't have exactly the right form for it. And one thing I don't think we can do is use older forms and impose them on this new thing. We have to let it find its way. So on the one hand, I can do my online course in Living Epic and in Gaming Homer, and I'm, I'm hoping, Michael, that someday we can make everything align so that you can do one too. But on the other hand, having weekly play sessions where we rotate between Burnout Paradise and, and Left for Dead, and, and now with the possibility of, of getting some people into uh, an MMO like Lord of the Rings Online. What we have here is what my colleague Mike Young at the NEAG School of Education at UConn, who's a, another of the founding members of uh, VGHVI, what he calls a, a community of learning as a way of doing situated learning. And what's neat is that I, I think people looking from the outside will say, well, you're not really doing anything didactic, maybe, or you're not doing anything that's, that's truly academic. But from the inside, what it feels like is that we're all learning all the time. I mean, whether it's actually anything that's marked as a VGHVI activity, or it's something that those of us who align that way are doing elsewhere, like the Vintage Game Club, it's a process of figuring out, maybe to avoid the word learning, figuring out what it is that games are doing to us, just like you were saying earlier, Michael, and, and what it is they can do 
to us and for us. And I mean, just to bring the word values in, which we haven't been using all that much, how they are shaping our values, how they're making us, in fact, different people and different agents within culture, much in the way in, that I think Greek tragedy did. And that's why when uh, when you announced on Twitter that you were going to be doing The Tempest uh, next year, right? Yes. That I, I, I was thinking about how unbelievably cool it was going to be to have a, a kind of new version of The Tempest as done by you, because I think of The Tempest almost as, a, as the first video game <laughs> drama. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, because Prospero is playing these people who have come to his island or trying to and then they then it kind of gets out of his control with Caliban as kind of the I don't know the, the sub boss or something but <laughs> it, it just I mean the the sparks that go off there in in terms of a community that is thinking about the same things that is pushing its various members into new formulations it's a kind of learning activity that doesn't look like traditional academic learning, but it nevertheless is doing what a course does, what a symposium does, what even a research fellowship does without kind of the, the obvious titles applied to it. Some people get very nervous about mixing fun with learning. I'm, I'm sure that's been true for, for a long time, way before video games. But this notion that if you're having too much fun, you couldn't possibly be learning anything. You know, I think that's just an insane notion, but it's it's clear to me that when we get together to do things collaboratively, and this is either in a classroom or you know, in a virtual setting or playing in, in an MMO or whatever, that there's a certain kind of communication that's possible there. In a purely kind of instructor leveraging opportunity way, <laughs> you look at that and you think, man, I could really get some work done in that environment, you know? Mm -hmm. Because there are people talking freely, thinking on their feet, spontaneous things happening. You know, you, it's an environment that a teacher just aches for, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, and it's what we're often trying to do in our classrooms is figure out how to create such a free, spirited, and open environment where conversation occurs. And if you put the right people together, it's going to be thoughtful conversation. It will be interesting, intelligent conversation. I think it's often less about the topic and, and more about the configuration of people that you have. And, you know, their willingness to explore, to think hard about things. You mentioned The Tempest. I think it's absolutely true. I don't know if I can, ever since I started Brainy Gamer, I noticed that I kind of lead my life in a way that is, is kind of perpetually radar operational <laughs> with anything that may have to do with video games. And even things that have nothing to do with video games start to have video game connections to me. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> I could have done The Tempest five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, Tempest has always been sitting out there waiting for me. Why did I choose the Tempest now? Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced that these things happen because your mind is operating on things and processes are sort of going and you make connections subconsciously, unconsciously that you're not even aware you're making. But when you step back and think about them in retrospect, you see that at a certain time in your life, you were obviously obsessed <laughs> about yeah. a certain thing. And I can look at, you know, years of time when I look at the plays I directed over a period of five or six years and the classes I taught and things I did. It's so obvious, <laughs> looking uh -huh. back, that, that there's certain themes that are just, you know, evident. So I think, yeah, you're, congratulations, you, you unlocked why I did The Tempest. Because <laughs> uh, I, th I, I think you're absolutely right. 
So one question I wanted to ask you, Michael, is whether there's a course that you want to uh, tease as something you might do online through uh, VGHVI at some point. We talked about this early on as as something that if we could make this thing go and get funding and you know kind of get it off the ground, what kinds of things would we like to do in an ideal world? And to me, doing an online version of one of the courses that I currently teach here at Wabash, you know, that would be great. And so I'm really hoping that we can make it go because it's it's funny, the question that I get asked more than any other question on my blog, either just email or a comment is, when are you going to teach that RPG course online? And that would be the natural one, I think. And also I, I teach one just a, sort of an, a history of video games, kind of an overview course. I think either one of those courses would be really great online courses. But the, the RPG course in particular was a course that I built really through collaboration with people online. And, you know, I received hundreds of comments and emails and Twitter f- remarks and all kinds of interesting feedback from people when I asked them to help me think about what games belonged on that syllabus. And that kind of collaboration, it seems to me, ought to result ultimately in bringing some of those people into the course. You know, it, it is kind of odd that I use the online environment so effectively, I think, and they were so generous with me. But then when it came time to teach the course, I sort of have to cut that off and go into my little classroom and teach it to my guys, uh, none of whom are actually involved <laughs> in my blog or you know, in any of those communities that we formed. So yeah, I would love to offer the course um, or the history course as part of the VH, uh, VGHVI. And if, if we can make that go, I'll be very happy. I think we can. We uh, will see about what the framework is going to be, but stay tuned. And I think it would be unbelievably wonderful to have uh, either of those courses going.